So we are going to continue with our missions theme, right? Our theme is pray, give, go. And uh, we're going to spend two more Sundays in this missions season. So today, uh, I want to look at big picture, reaching the whole world. And then next Sunday, Sarah, one of our elders, who has a a lot of experience in short-term missions trips, She's going to be teaching us on the value of short-term missions trips and what that looks like. So with the Pray, Give, Go, we launched the Give last week. Today, we're going to focus on pray and, and that God might call you to the nations. And then next Sunday, we're going to look at go. See how that makes sense? Amen. Um, so today, uh, I have titled this message, Until All Have Heard. Until all have heard. If you've got your notes, which you can find in the bulletin, they're on our church app. They're attached to this video on our website. They're attached to the audio podcast, if that's what you're listening to. Here's our big picture point today. Jesus told his church what to do and how to measure it. Right? It's pretty straightforward. He told us what to do and how to measure it. So the only question is, will we embrace his purpose with passion? Will we be passionate about doing what he called the church to do and measuring what he called the church to measure? So that's what we're going to dig into today. We're actually going to look at the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to look at three segments of Jesus' teaching uh, that kind of shows uh, three spots on the timeline. There was the initial calling, then there was the second coming of Jesus, and then there is the great judgment throne, the day of judgment, right? So we're going to look at these and kind of this timeline that Jesus laid out. So we're going to start in Matthew 28. It's almost impossible to talk about missions without going to the Great Commission. You heard it last Sunday. You're going to hear it again next Sunday. You're going to hear it today, the Great Commission. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right? This is the great commission. Jesus says, go. My authority will be with you. I will never leave you. And when you go, make disciples of all nations. So that's the what. Right? Jesus said there was going to be a gap of time because right after he said this stuff, Gravity lost hold on him, and he floated up into the clouds. And now we know that he's at the right hand of the throne of God interceding for us. Right? So he told us there would be a gap from that day when he left the earth until the day that he comes back. And what is his church supposed to be doing in that gap period? Making disciples of all nations. He gave us very straightforward instructions baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything he commanded, make disciples of all nations. Now, we learned this last week that the word that's used there in the Greek for nations doesn't mean the actual political borders that we think of today. The word was ethnos, which if you look at it, you can see that's where we get our word ethnicity. So, yes, it's translated nation, but what it actually means is a people group. In fact, in the New Testament, this word is most commonly translated into the word Gentile, 
which basically means all people groups outside of the Israelites, right? Um, so this word means people group. What's a people group? It's any group that has a common history, language, customs, culture, and other distinctive features. We're going to see here in just a minute that people group is a much more specific definition than a political nation, right? So we are called to reach all people groups, to make disciples of all people groups in the world. That is the mission of the church. So how do we measure it? Well, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 24. You guys will remember, we studied these chapters back in March. This is called the Olivet Discourse, which is a fancy way for saying Jesus gave a teaching on the Mount of Olives. And the teaching was, they asked him, when will the end come? And he gave them this long teaching, telling them this is what to look for to know that the end is coming. Part of that teaching, after he gave a lot of specific examples of what to look for, he said, but the one who endures to the end is the one who will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, same word ethnos, to all people groups, and then the end will come. Right? So what is Jesus teaching? He is telling them, I am not going to return until every people group on this planet has heard the gospel of the kingdom. So how are we to measure the Great Commission? We're to measure it by saying, until all have heard, like that song that we just sang. If there's a people group that hasn't heard the gospel, then we're not successful yet. Right? Our measurement is until all have heard. When everybody hears the gospel. And remember, what did Jesus teach about us moving towards the end times? He says things would get steadily worse like the birth pains of a woman. Right? The closer and closer you get to birth, the more and more painful it gets. And so he said all of these signs, they were going to get worse and worse until the second coming of Jesus. What does that mean? That means we live in a beautiful moment of history where we get to take the gospel to every people group in the world at the same time that the world is persecuting us more and more. As the world gets darker and darker, we shine brighter and brighter. As the world tries harder and harder to silence us, more and more people are going to hear. Come on, there we go. A couple people are getting excited, right? This is the day we live in, right? We live in a day of unprecedented travel and communication and transmission uh, of information, right? When, when, when this commission was given... It was much more difficult to get to the nations, to find every people group. Now we have missiologists who study it. We have all the data on the people groups. We know who they are and where they are. We know their languages and, and, and what their customs are and their national histories are. We know all of that now. We have people who study it and put it all on the Internet. And we have ways to get there and we have ways to translate the Bible into their languages. We live in an amazing day where we get to fulfill the Great Commission as we spiral towards the end times. We're going to touch the nations. Hallelujah. So why is this important? Oh, wait. I found this quote. I apologize. I could not find who to attribute this quote to. 
Our mission is clear, to proclaim the good news of Jesus to every corner of the earth until all have heard, and then the end will be near. That's it. That's our mission. Why is this mission so important? Matthew 25. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations, same word, ethnos, all the people groups will be gathered before him. And he will separate them from one another just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. So when we think about nations, when we think about people groups, we need to think about the great judgment throne, the day of judgment. Every people group is going to stand before God. And every single individual within that people group is going to be judged on one thing. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? Did you surrender your heart to Christ Jesus as Lord? Did you endure to the end? Every single people group is going to stand before that throne. And if they say, well, nobody told us, it's still the same judgment. This is why it's important. Every people group will stand before God, which means every people group needs the gospel, which means we have a part to play in the Great Commission. Amen? So to get a picture of this, I want to play a video. I apologize for those of you on the live stream. You're not going to be able to see the video, but you will hear it. Um, but I want to play this video just to give us an understanding of the mission of reaching unreached people groups. Check this out. What is a UPG? UPG stands for Unreached People Group. But to understand what that means, we need to first talk about people groups. When Jesus told his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, the Greek words he used were ta ethne, meaning all ethnic groups or people groups. So what is a people group? A people group is basically a group of individuals that have a common sense of history, language, beliefs, and identity. It is pretty much a group of people that considers us, us, and everyone else, them. While there are about 196 countries in the world today, there are over 16,000 distinct people groups. Let's look at Pakistan as an example. That is one nation going by our English word, but ethnically Pakistan has over 400 distinct nations or people groups within its borders. Around 7,000 of those 16,000 total people groups are considered UPGs or unreached people groups. A group is considered unreached if less than 2% of their population is evangelical Christian. That is, it has too few true believers to evangelize and disciple the rest of the people group. Almost 3 billion people fall into this category. Over 3,000 of those 7,000 unreached people groups are considered UUPGs, or unengaged unreached people groups. These people groups have no churches, no believers, no missionaries, and no one actively focused on engaging them. 95% of all unreached people groups are located in the part of the world between 10 degrees latitude and 40 degrees latitude stretching from North Africa to Southeast Asia. We call this the 1040 window. It's in the 1040 window that most of the major non-Christian religions hold sway. 
Collectively, they are known as the Thumb People, tribal, Hindu, unreligious, including many Chinese, Muslim, and Buddhist. Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached as a testimony to Ta Ethne, all people groups, and then the end would come. Less than 3% of our total cross-cultural missionary force is working with unreached people groups. We must go to the unreached. At the same time, it's estimated that over 350 unreached people groups are living in the United States today as immigrants, refugees, and international students. We must welcome the unreached. Christ commands us to make disciples of all nations. Jesus is alive. His mission for us is clear, yet the task stands incomplete. Together, we can change that. Come on. There are 350 unreached people groups living in the United States as immigrants, refugees, or international students. So what if, instead of making political stands about immigrants and refugees, we engaged them as unreached people groups and loved them because God brought them right where we are? Amen? So in your notes... You can see the, the, the first blank is unreached people groups, less than 2% committed Christians within their population. Then you can take it even a step further, and the next one is frontier people groups. This means they have less than 0.1% committed Christians in their populations. So we have UPGs and we have FPGs. So... Right now, only one out of about every 1,800 Christians serves as a cross-cultural missionary worker, right? So let's say our church, our average attendance on Sunday is 70 people. So that means that our church would have to grow by like 2,500% to get to 1,800 members just to have one missionary go to the nations, that's not a good stat. We shouldn't have to grow that much to have one missionary go to the nations. We should be able to send one out of our 70 or more. So of the 400,000 cross-cultural missionary workers that are, that are currently logged by, you know, studied by missiologists, only 3% or about 12,000 serve UPGs and FPGs. What that means is, is 97% of missionary workers go to places where there's already churches, already Bibles, already believers. And that doesn't mean that's always a bad thing. If you're called to a nation, go to that nation. But it shows that there is an imbalance if our call is to reach unreached people groups and we're only sending 3% of our missionaries. Even worse, of the $45 billion given specifically to missions... Only 1% supports missions works to UPGs and FPGs. Only 1%. $450 million. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, but if we were to put that into context of how much is $450 million, well, think about this. Americans spend more than that on Halloween costumes just for their pets. And I find this incredibly convicting because 
I have a Halloween costume for my pets. $700 million industry in the United States, just pet Halloween costumes. More than what's given to support unreached people groups around the world. So you guys following with me, this is the state of missions. This is the state of the Great Commission, and this is what we have been called to engage in, and this is what we have begun to engage in through this amazing pledge drive and the projects that we are now supporting, right? We're going to know as Kauai Bible Church, we have planted a church in a village on the Amazon River and provided them fresh drinking water, which is going to save lives, and they're going to have an indigenous pastor who is going to disciple the people of that village, right? We know as a church that we are planting a church in San Luis del Palmar, Argentina, and that we are going to be a part of the multiplication discipleship movement that is happening in northern Argentina. We know as a church that we have purchased a van for a prison ministry in Indonesia that serves 25 different prisons and is going to be used to transport families to those prisons to see their loved ones and also to bring the gospel to those prisons. Right? Those are reaching unreached people groups, and we're a part of that. And I want to encourage us to take on the mindsets that we're going to be a part of finishing the job. Jesus is not going to come back until every unreached people group has been engaged with the gospel. And so we're going to be a part of finishing the job. And this is what I want to encourage us with today is how do we begin to finish the job? What can we start doing right now? I'm not expecting somebody immediately in this service to suddenly turn their life upside down and go to the foreign nations for the rest of your life. But if that happens, I'm not going to stop it. God can do that. But we got to start somewhere. If we're going to send at least one missionary worker to an unreached people group around the world, we've got to start somewhere. And this is where I want us to start. All right, the first one is pray for the nations. Yes, we talked about that the word nations in the Bible means ethnic groups, but God also points out boundaries. Listen to Acts 17, 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Right? So every nation that ever was, God appointed their time and their boundary. And there have been nations throughout history that don't exist anymore. There's new nations that pop up and new boundaries that pop up. And there are boundaries that change. But all of that is appointed by God. And so I want to encourage us to pray for the political nations. Pray for the 196 countries in the world. I bought a big world map. And I put it on the wall in the conference room. If you guys have never been back to the Parsonage building, if you go through the garage, there's a, a door in the back of the garage. If you go through that door, that's where Dr. Val's counseling office is, and then there's also a conference room. On the wall of the conference room now is this big world map, and you can go in there anytime you want. Obviously, if you don't have a key, you got to ask somebody who has a key uh, to open it up, uh, but you can go in there anytime you want and pray for the nations. Just pray for the nation. See what God stirs in your heart as, as you pray over each nation, right? If you think about the missionaries that, that we heard from last week, we heard three different ways that God called them. Anthony was called to a specific nation. 
God called him to Argentina, right? Jen was just called to unreached people groups. She didn't care which one as long as it was an unreached people group. And eventually, God connected her with the Minorua people of the Amazon, right? And then you had Dr. Sharon. She wasn't called to a specific nation. She wasn't called to a specific people group. She was called to minister to people who hate her. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Well, that's what she's been doing for the last 18 years, ministering to people who hate her. They either hate her because she's a Christian or they hate her because she's an American. But man, what stories we heard last week of unconditional love changing the hearts of people who hate you. Man. So God can call you in a variety of ways. But if we would begin to pray for the nations, God may begin to put a nation on your heart. And your call may be to be the prayer warrior of that nation, or God may call you to put your feet in that nation, but we will never know until we start praying for the nations. Psalm 67 starts out like this. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. And then there's a selah, right? Selah means think on it. So when you read that in the Psalms, it's a pause in the music to meditate. So the song starts out, God bless us, cause your face to shine upon us, and then stop and meditate on that. Okay. Yeah, I like being blessed. Being blessed is cool. I like God's face shining on me. Come on, bring it on, God. But why? Why would we pray for God to bless us? After the pause, the song picks back up that your way may be known on the earth your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. Thank you, Jesus. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with fairness and guide the nations on the earth. So why do we pray for God to bless us? So that the nations can hear the gospel. That's why. So we start by praying for the nations. If you can't make it to the conference room to pray over our big map, which also I put a bunch of sticky notes. So if God gives you a word while you're praying for the nations, write it on a sticky note and stick it to the map. So the next person who comes in and prays can see where God is working in the hearts of our church. Amen? But if you can't make it into the conference room, print up your own map. Go buy a globe. And spin the globe and stick your finger on it. And wherever it sticks, pray for that nation. Come on, let's start by praying for the nations. Then we take it a step further and we pray for the UPGs and the FPGs. Right? We begin to pray specifically for unreached people groups or frontier people groups. How do we pray for them? Well, I want to give you three B's here. We're going to alliterate here for a minute. How do we pray for them? First, we pray that they would have a believer, that there would be a believer somewhere in the world that is called to that people group who will bring the gospel to that people group and share it with them. They need a believer. The second thing they need is a Bible. Can we pray for an unreached people group that they would have the Bible in their language? And then third, we would pray for a body of Christ that the first wave of salvations in that people group would be enough to establish a church. So we want to believe if they have a believer, if they have a Bible, and they have a body of Christ, then we have a chance to see discipleship multiply in an unreached people group. 
So that's our prayer. Every unreached people group we pray for, let's pray for a believer, a Bible, and a body of Christ. Well, how do we know what unreached people group to pray for? Well, I found a website, an international ministry actually called 2414, Matthew 2414 that we just read. And they produce an interactive prayer guide. It's, a, it's electronic. It's digital that they update every single week continuously. And every single week, this interactive prayer guide gives you an unreached people group to pray for every day and then one for the church to pray for on Sunday. So what I'm going to begin to do is each week, I think it's on Monday, when they update their prayer guide, I'm going to email the link out to the church so every week you will have a prayer guide to pray for unreached people groups. And then on Sundays, we're going to pray together for whatever the, the, the group is that's on the guide. So we're going to start that right now. And so this week's unreached people group, do we have it up there? There we go. Is the Dazari Belizea people who live in sun, southern India. They're also known as the Atolu people. I don't know why. They have two different names. But this, you can see, is a frontier people group. They are 99% Hindu. Remember that thumb acronym. That is a great acronym, right? Unreached people groups either have their own tribal religions, they're Hindu, they're unreligious, which usually means they're in a communist nation, they're Muslim or they're Buddhist. All right, so this people group is 99% Hindu. They have no Christians. They have no believers. There are 58,000 of them, and they speak the language of Kannada. And I am making up that. I don't know how to pronounce it, so I'm just going to say Kannada because it would be weird to say Canada. Um, so come on. We're going to pray right now, and then every Sunday going forward, we're going to pray for an unreached people group until God stirs our hearts so much to touch the nations. Amen? Come on, join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we lift up the Dazari Belizea people before you. God, we pray for a believer. Lord, would you send one believer to southern India to reach this 58,000-person tribe, oh Lord? God, would you send one believer to them that can share the gospel in their language, that can connect across cultures, and can present the gospel of the kingdom in a way that their heart can understand. Lord God, and we pray that there would be Bibles translated into the language of Kannada. Lord God, that they would have it, whether in written form or audio form, that they would have access to the Word of God. And Lord, we pray for a body of Christ. We pray for a church that would be planted in southern India. Lord God, that the Atolu people could go to, that they could identify with, that they could say we are a part of the body of Christ. Lord God, we pray for uh, southern India we pray for the significant cities of southern India, Lord. We pray for Bangalore and these other cities, God. Uh, Lord, that there would be a move upon these cities uh, that would touch the Dazari Belizea people, Lord. And, Father, we would see another people group engaged with the gospel, transformed in discipleship. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, we're going to begin to pray for the unreached people groups. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to start reading the news with a Great Commission mindset. We're going to read the news with a Great Commission mindset. What does that mean? That means every time you read the world news 
and either we don't really care because it's not Kauai, or we get so stirred up with anxiety because there's so much going on in the world. What if instead, when we read the world news, we think, wow, how can God use that to fulfill the Great Commission? Right? So I started doing that this week. And so I read an article about what's happening in Azerbaijan. And so I went and I looked up these countries because I don't know much about these countries. These are former Soviet states that are now their own independent republics. They're, they're kind of sandwiched right in between Iran, Turkey, and Russia, right? None of those three countries are known for being good neighbors, right? And so throughout the last hundreds of years, these nations and these people groups have been uh, massacred, uh, have been conquered, have been subjugated. Uh, and now that they are independent republics, they can't even get along with each other. So you've got Azerbaijan right next to Armenia, and they are in conflict with each other. Now, a lot of the Armenian people live in Azerbaijan, and the Azerbaijanis don't like that. And so they're committing genocide now against the Armenian people. And in the news this week, in a city in, in Azerbaijan called Nagorno-Karabakh, over 100,000 Armenians have fled the city and are now international refugees. So I read that this week and I thought, oh my goodness, here is a massive people group that needs a missionary. If God would send a missionary to these Armenian refugees who have now been displaced from their home, they've seen family members die in genocide. If God would send a missionary to them, man, the gospel could spread like wildfire. That's what I mean by reading the news with a great commission mindset. How can God use this situation to fulfill the great commission? Amen? So you guys with me? We're going to pray for the nations. We're going to pray for unreached people groups. We're going to start reading the news with a great commission mindset. And then what's going to happen is, is we are going to begin to die to ourselves. We're going to begin to die to ourselves. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul also said this when he was gathered with the Ephesian church on his way to Jerusalem where he knew that chains and imprisonment were awaiting him. He said this to the Ephesian church. He said, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of God's grace. Paul said, my life doesn't mean anything. All that matters is that I finish the ministry that God gave me. That's what it means to die to yourself. When you can say, you know what, my life doesn't matter. My comfort doesn't matter. My wishes don't matter. What matters is, do I fulfill the ministry that God gave me? I want to talk to you about a guy named George Mueller. George Mueller was a German man. Technically, back in 1803 when he was born, it was the southern Germany. It was called the Kingdom of Prussia, but now it's Germany. So he was a German man. He was a spoiled rich kid, 
And growing up as a spoiled rich kid, uh, he was a partier, he drunken, debauchery, uh, jail time, all of this. And then in his early 20s, he had a radical salvation experience, gave his life to Jesus. He had a conviction that he couldn't just keep taking money from his dad. So, so he decided that he was going to trust in the Lord. He had a heart for missions. And so God actually called him to England, not really what you would think of as a hotbed of missions activity in the 1800s, one of the most Christian nations in the world. But he was specifically called to be a missionary to the Jews in England. Now, when he got there, it didn't really work out. But he ended up pastoring a church in Bristol, England. While he was pastoring this church, he opened up what's called the Scriptural Knowledge Institutes, where his mission was to train up missionaries and to distribute the gospel all over the world. And so they would print Bibles, they would print Bible pamphlets, they would send them out around the world. And then in 1836, he noticed that the streets of his city were filling up with orphans. Why? Because of the cholera pandemic. Right? We didn't just invent pandemics in 2020. The cholera pandemic in 1836, the parents were all dying and the streets were filling up with orphans. And he felt the call of God to minister to orphans. So what did he do? He opened up his home. He turned his house into an orphanage. And then when his house filled up, he bought the house next door. And when that house filled up, he bought a third house on the same streets. At that point, the whole neighborhood started complaining there's kids everywhere. It's noisy. It's chaos. And George Mueller realized he couldn't get along with his neighbors and continue this model of ministry. So he bought Ashley Down, a parcel of land that was 13 acres. And by faith, he ended up building five buildings on Ashley Down that could house 1,700 orphans. Over the course of his life, he cared for more than 10,000 orphans at this property. And he gave every single one of them a top-notch education. He was actually persecuted in England for turning the cultural norms upside down because how dare he actually give poor kids hope that they could do something bigger with their life. Not only did he give them an education, but he discipled them as followers of Christ. And every orphan, when they aged out of Ashley Down, and they were about to move out on their own, George Mueller did this for every single one of them. He put a Bible in their right hand, and he put a coin in their left hand. And he said, if you commit your life to what's in your right hand, God will give you enough of what's in your left hand. And that was the wisdom he gave them. And then he sent them out into the world to not be poor anymore. The amazing thing about this story is that he never once asked for a donation. Never once. These 13 acres and these five buildings in today's money would be worth $14 million. Not only was he able to build all of them debt-free, but he was also able to feed all of these thousands of orphans, provide schooling for them, take care of their medical needs, everything, and he never once asked for a donation. Every time there was a financial need, he would just pray about it, and the money would show up. Every single time. Then the story gets better. 
at the age of 71 years old, when most people would be like, hey, I'm going to retire. I've taken care of 10,000 orphans. I've done enough. No, at the age of 71 years old, he and his wife went on a 17-year missionary journey. Think about this. This is the late 1800s, right? Travel was not that easy. Here's where his 17-year missionary journey took him. Scotland, Ireland, Switzerland, Germany, the Netherlands, Canada, the United States, France, Spain, Italy, Egypt, Palestine, Syria, Asia Minor, Turkey, Greece, Austria, Hungary, Bohemia, Russia, Poland, India, South Wales, Australia, China, Japan, Singapore, the regions that are now known today as Malaysia and Sri Lanka, Tasmania, and New Zealand. It might have been quicker to read the places he didn't go to. He traveled over 200,000 miles, preached the gospel to over 3 million people in his 70s and 80s. And then at 88, he retired to England. Somebody asked George Mueller, how was he so successful in serving the kingdom of God? And I want you to hear his answer today. And let me have the worship team come back up. There was a day when I died, utterly died to George Mueller. His opinions, preferences, tastes, and will died to the world, its approval and censure, died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied to show myself approved only to God. A servant of God has but one master. That's what it means to die to yourself. George Mueller would later say, every child of God is not called by the Lord to establish schools and orphan houses and to trust in the Lord for the means for them. Yet there is no reason why you may not experience far more abundantly than we do now his willingness to answer the prayers of his children. Come on. The guy that supernaturally cared for 10,000 orphans, traveled 200,000 miles and preached to 3 million people. What did he say at the end of his life? He said, listen, your calling isn't going to look like mine, but there is no reason why you can't do just as many things as I did if you would just die to yourself and pray. And finally, if we start doing those four things, be ready to go when God says go. Be ready. Whether it's a short-term trip and he asks you to lay your life down for two weeks, take your vacation time, take off of work, or whether he asks you to lay your life down for a nation and you move to a nation or anywhere in between. He might tell you to go to your neighbor before he tells you to go to Africa. Right? When God says go, be ready to go. John 17, 18, Jesus said, just as you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. In the message paraphrase, it says it like this, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. Come on. What is the mission that Jesus has given you? And are you willing to die to yourself and to believe God to fulfill that mission? John Keith Falconer was a Scottish missionary. 
He learned Hebrew and Syrian and other Semitic languages, and so uh, he had a great passion for the Middle Eastern people. So he moved uh, to become a full-time missionary in Aden, which is now known as Yemen. It's southern Yemen is the area known as Aden. And in 1886, he and his wife moved to Aden to give their lives for Middle Eastern people. And this is what John Keith Falconer said. I have but one candle of life to burn, and I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with lights. And that's exactly what he did because, unfortunately, because of malaria, he only lasted six months on that mission before he died of malaria. But he gave his life for a land filled with darkness rather than to live in one flooded with light. What would God call you to give your life for? Will you stand together with me? Lord, you've given us the mission of the church. You've told us how to measure it. And you've showed us why it's so eternally important. So, Lord, today we stand before you ready to respond to that question. Will we pursue your passion, your purpose with passion? Will we give ourselves for what you've called us to? Will we begin to pray? Will we believe for the supernatural? Will we touch the nations? Because there are people groups that need the gospel. Lord, we start here. We have no idea where this is going to take us, but we start here. I just can't help but sense I'm standing on holy ground right now. This is a divine moment. Come on, this is a moment of destiny for Kauai Bible Church. God is calling us to the nations. It starts right now. We'll never be the same again. Holy Spirit, would you minister to every heart? Lord, my prayer is not that we would take up somebody else's story. My prayer is that every member of Kauai Bible Church would discover their story and their masterpiece and live to fulfill their ministry. And that collectively as a church body, Kauai Bible Church would change the world. So Lord, call us to go to our neighbors, to our friends and family, to our co-workers. And then Lord, cause us to go to another island. And then Lord, call us to go to another nation. And Lord, call us to an unreached people group. Call us to learn a new language. Call us to learn a new culture. Call us, Lord, that we might fulfill our story. In this day, Jesus, we commit ourselves right now to die to you, to die to ourselves so that we can live for you. Jesus, Jesus, this is our prayer.